Merry Christmas, everyone. It's great to see you and be with you if you're new here to the church and uh, we haven't met before. Uh, my name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor here. I feel like I should probably start out tonight by uh, explaining uh, the little guy on the video who shared with us uh, what his father does when he's on the toilet. What happened there was we were talking and I was asking him the story of Christmas and we got to the wise men and he was very excited in that portion of the story. And then I asked uh, after we were finished what he wanted for Christmas and he told me that he wanted a wise man for Christmas. And so I in turn told him that I knew his dad and that his dad is very wise and so he already has a wise man right there in his home. Well, then he started telling me that he's learning how to use the toilet himself, but his dad already knows. Therefore, he's a wise man. So that's where that came from. So, It's just a great reminder for all the dads in the house that that is how easy it is to be impressive. Well, tonight I have a short uh, scripture and message that I would like for us to consider tonight as a church family. Uh, it comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church in the middle of a section where he was urging them to live a life of generosity. And in the middle of his brief argument on why they should live a life of generosity, Paul recalled some beautiful truth about Jesus. He said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Uh, to me, it's an amazing statement. It's a statement that is filled with beautiful Christmas time truth. And tonight I want us to briefly think about three things from this one little sentence. First of all, what was the wealth that Jesus had? What wealth did Jesus abandon? Secondly, what poverty did Jesus embrace? And thirdly, why did Jesus make that choice? So the wealth that he abandoned, Paul says there in that short verse, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, he became poor. He was rich, Paul said. What riches did Jesus possess? What wealth was his? Well, in a word, I think you could describe Jesus's wealth or Jesus's riches with the word glory. It's not a word that uh, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or any other wealthy person could use to describe their situation. Glory is a word that is reserved for the divine. The Father has glory. The Spirit has glory. The Son has glory. Jesus, in fact, on the night before he was crucified, prayed to his Father and said, Father, glorify me now with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. 
The wealth that Jesus had, the riches that Jesus had, could be summed up with that word, glory, because he came as God himself. As Paul said in Philippians chapter two, he was in the form of God. So he had the wealth of glory. And in his glory, Jesus had, Christ had incredible and incomprehensible wealth. You could categorize it in many ways, but I would say it like this. He had first the wealth of position. Uh, No one, in other words, was more supreme than Jesus. The Bible calls Jesus the firstborn above all creation. That means that there is nothing in the entire galaxy that is Jesus's equal. Jesus also had the wealth of not just position, but possession. Uh, No one owned more than Jesus. The Bible says that all things were created through him and all things were created for him. That means that every single thing belonged to him. Not only that, though, Jesus had the wealth of power. Uh, No one is as powerful, in other words, as Jesus The Bible says that we were made through him, I already said that, but that in him all things hold together. So the world would not even exist without Jesus' creative power, nor would it be sustained without his sustaining power. And beyond all of that, Jesus was wealthy in peace. None of us, I think, could comprehend what it is like within the triune Godhead, the total love, the total peace, the total joy that's found within the Godhead. So position and possessions and power and peace, Jesus had all of them to an infinite and in unmeasurable degree. Uh, you could combine all the wealth of all the wealthiest people on the planet today, and their wealth would pale in comparison to the wealth that belonged to Jesus, the wealth that Jesus left to embrace our poverty. So that's what it meant when Paul said that Jesus was rich. But the second thing I want to consider is the poverty that Jesus embraced. Paul said that he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. What does that mean? What poverty did Jesus embrace? Now, the word that Paul used in the Greek language that he wrote with is a word that could mean abject poverty. It's the severest form of poverty. And certainly, when Jesus was born at that original Christmas, at whatever time of the year it actually happened, uh, when he was born, he embraced a human level of poverty. I mean, when we consider the poverty of Christ, it's easy to fixate on those elements, the the beggarly nature of his birth and then his life and then his death. I mean, for instance, we often point out that when Jesus was born, he was not born like the wealthy of his age and he definitely was not born in the privilege and luxury of our age. I was born at the community hospital of the Monterey Peninsula. It was a nice place to be born and Jesus was not born into an environment or situation like that. Instead, he was born next to stabled animals in an overcrowded Jerusalem or Bethlehem. His first cradle was a borrowed feeding trough. He was wrapped not in premium linen. 
He was wrapped not in a custom-made sleep sack that Aunt Elizabeth found on Etsy, uh, but he was wrapped in strips of cloth that his poor parents put together for him. And then Jesus' early years of life were also years of poverty. He spent his early childhood as a refugee in Egypt. Uh, His father, Joseph, his earthly father, was warned in an angelic dream that Herod wanted to kill Jesus, so he took his family and fled to Egypt using likely the gold and frankincense and myrrh that the three or the wise men had given to him. It doesn't say three in the Bible. Uh, they, They gave to him in order to fund that refugee status in Egypt. And so they fled there by night and they remained there until Herod's death. And then Jesus' private life, the life that he lived as an adult before he entered into public life and ministry was also one of poverty. He lived in a rocky, unknown, out-of-the-way town called Nazareth, maybe 100 people or maximum 500 people living in that small little town. Lots of poverty in that town. He eventually assumed the a trade of his father as a carpenter. It was not a wealthy experience. And when Jesus' public ministry began, it leaned heavily on the generosity of others. Other people had to pay for him to stay in places, eat food, and pay for his ministry team. He was not wealthy. He said things like, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then, of course, there's the poverty of the way in which Jesus died, naked and alone on a cross, betrayed by even those closest to him. But what I want to say tonight is that none of those things about the earthly poverty that Jesus experienced is the point that Paul is making when he says, Jesus was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. He's not focused on how poor Jesus was when he became a human. In other words, he's not focused on something to where we today in our uh, cultured and elite or uh, industrialized or wealthy status would say, look at how amazing Jesus is. He became a poor person. How hard that would be, how difficult that would be. No, that's not the point that Paul is making. From the heavenly vantage point, the shock isn't that when he became a man, he was a poor man. The shock is he became a man. That's what he means by poverty. One of us, our species, he emptied it all out to become as us. As Paul said in Philippians 2 verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of of men. The great sacrifice wasn't in becoming the poorest of men, but becoming a person in the first place. The very being who was there at the beginning of all things with Father God, God himself, the one who made all things and the one in whom all things is found and consist, the light of the world, he became flesh and dwelt among us all the way to the point of death. That's ultimate poverty. And Paul seems to indicate that all of this was done by choice. It says he became poor. This indicates that he made a decision to take up humanity. 
And when he did, he took on our poverty. Now to me, I think that becoming poor, going from wealth to poverty, is likely harder than only having ever known poverty. Because as you're enduring the poverty, you have the memory of your previous position, what you had in the past. But it seems to me that it's probably even more difficult to live in poverty while still being technically abundantly wealthy, but choosing not to access the vastness of your wealth so that you can identify with the poor that you are among. It doesn't seem to me that anybody really does that, but Jesus did that. Jesus embraced our poverty. The last thing that I want us to consider, though, tonight is the reason that Jesus made that choice. Why did Jesus do that? Why did he decide to abandon that wealth to embrace our poverty? Well, Paul said in verse nine, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's a good news kind of line, that by the poverty of Jesus, we would gain incredible wealth. Why did Jesus do it? Why did he abandon his wealth and embrace our poverty? It was all so that through his poverty, we might become wealthy. Now, this, of course, is Paul's way of alluding to the reason that Jesus came. Uh, Jesus did not come in order to give some good teachings that might shape our lives a little bit. Jesus did not come to live and give an example to us of the way that we should live our lives. Jesus did not come in order to show us how we should treat each other. Jesus did not come as a prophetic figure to start a new movement. No, Jesus came to substitute himself for us in death on the cross and then rise from the grave. Baby Jesus's life was on a straight trajectory to the cross. And that death, followed by his resurrection, would unlock a world of blessings for anyone who would trust in, believe in him. By believing in Jesus, we can become rich. And what wealth do we get when we believe in Jesus? What I want to say to you today is I think it's the same wealth that Jesus abandoned, not some cheap earthly version of wealth, but the very same thing that Jesus left is the very same thing that he secured for us if we believe in him. All the position, possessions, and power, and peace that he abandoned, he won for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. I mean, think about it. If you're a believer tonight, you have gained the wealth of an incredible position before God. God, who previously we were at war with, you are now at peace with. And he is your father. He is your friend. He is your guide. He is your leader. He is your protector. He is your provider. You're placed into Christ, and you are a co-heir with Jesus. You also gained possessions when you became a Christian. Some of you might be saying, well, I don't know how that happened. I I keep a close eye on my bank account, and I haven't seen that number go up ever since I became a believer. 
But what I mean is that in Christ Jesus, you have first, right now, access to, the Bible says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And since this world belongs to Jesus, and since uh, he is coming back, one day you will inherit all things with him. And even now, since all things are through him and all things are for him, the Bible says that he has given us all things to enjoy. But he's also given you, if you believed in Jesus tonight, the wealth of power. In the sense that when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated every principality and power of darkness that is against our species. So now, as a believer, you have the resources that you need to enter into the victory that you need over habits and tendencies that drag you down. Power. He holds us together, power, and he gives us strength to overcome. And finally, we gain the wealth of peace. Peace with God. Because of Jesus, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us as well. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And these elements, these are peaceful elements. The Bible even says that Christians can have the peace of Christ rule over their hearts. It's the same word you would use to describe an umpire ruling over an athletic contest. The peace of Christ can rule over our hearts. What great wealth we have in Jesus. And all these elements and many more become ours when Christ comes into our lives. And our verse tonight tells us that Jesus abandoned all his wealth and embraced all our poverty so that we could partake of that richness. Jesus, in other words, placed us first. He loved us. Uh, this last year, some of you might have seen this in the news, but the famous actor from Star Trek, William Shatner, who's in his 90s now, uh, he finally actually went into outer space. Uh, he took Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin space shuttle, and he became the oldest living person to ever travel to space. It was just for a few minutes, just momentary. He didn't really know what to expect, but in his book, he describes the experience. He says when they became weightless, when they were there in space, everybody began to unbuckle, and all the other younger passengers were doing somersaults and flips and bouncing around, but his whole desire was to get to a window so that he could look down upon planet Earth. And he said he was shocked by his experience because he began immediately to weep. There was something he said about seeing the smallness of our planet in comparison to the vastness of space. Something about seeing the borderlessness of our continents and knowing the strife and war and disease and famine that was happening below that just began to overwhelm him. And he couldn't control himself and began to cry there aboard that spacecraft. They say that this is something that happens often to first-time astronauts. They call it the overview effect. When, when you're seeing things from a different vantage point. On Earth, we're confined to our 
little borders and nations and states and towns, and we can easily dismiss the hardships that are happening to our brothers and sisters in humanity all over the world. But from space's vantage point, it just strikes you in a fresh way. And if that overview effect can be felt by finite human beings, what must it be like for God? God who is not imagining what happens down below, but can peer into every single human heart. He's witnessed every single evil human act that has ever been done. He's seen every abuse, he's heard every single cry, and what did God decide to do about those things that he saw? Well, God decided to deny himself the privileges of divinity, embrace the poverty of humanity, become one of us to be abused, to be hurt, to be sinned against. And through his cross, he made the way for us to become rich in him, to escape this and find something new with him. On the cross, his human body consumed every act of evil, so much so that he became sin for us upon the cross. And as wrath was unleashed on Jesus, he performed the greatest of all rescue missions, becoming the poorest so that we might become the richest. So this Christmas Eve, this Christmas 2022, if you're a Christian tonight, you have the greatest gift that has ever been given. Christ left all his wealth to embrace your poverty so that you in him might become rich. Let's pray to him for a moment together. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you have given to us. You are abundant, you are good, you are self-sacrificing, and clearly there is nothing that you will not do to rescue us in our peril. Lord, we thank you, we rejoice in you. If you're here tonight and you like this message because you're beginning to believe it, You've not yet trusted in Christ. You've not yet leaned upon Christ. You've not yet confessed and believed in Jesus. I wanna encourage you tonight to surrender your life to him. I want you to cry out to him from your heart and say something like this. Say, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place upon that cross. Thank you for raising him back to life. And I pray now that you would forgive me of all that I've ever done that is wrong. Forgive me of all of my sin and come into my life and make me new and help me now to live for you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your gospel. We love you, Lord, and we celebrate you tonight. Be with all the families of the church, Lord, the people of the church. Watch over us, Lord, tonight and tomorrow, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray together, amen.